Good morning, church. It's a joy to worship with you this morning, and as we continue, we'll study God's Word together. Uh, we will look at Hebrews 11, chapter 29. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there or on your phones. It's a great time to get back in the habit of bringing our Bibles. If you don't, then it is printed in your bulletin, and unlike the call to worship, it is the correct verse. I, I will go back and check the, the uh, numbers from the call to worship. I apologize. Nothing prepares our heart to worship like a violent scene from a Mel Gibson movie. I'm not sure how those verses ended up in there, uh, but I re accept responsibility. We're going to continue our series as we are studying made for this moment. God is not surprised by the circumstances of our world and of our lives. And in fact, he has shaped you and formed you by his grace. And, and today we'll see by faith to be planted for his purposes as we together participate in redemptive restoration. Right now in our world, uh, we have a crisis of many sorts. And one of them is a crisis of trust a crisis of faith. It was the uh, Pew Research Institute that did a study on trust level uh, during the pandemic. Maybe you saw this released recently. Three things to highlight. 46% of people say that other people cannot be trusted. Almost one in two uh, completely uh, suspicious of other people. 55% of people surveyed say that other people try to take advantage of you. 55%. 57% of people say that everyone else is just looking out for themselves. Uh, we are experiencing a crisis level of trust in institutions, in individuals, uh, political leaders, media outlets, and authority in general. But there's another interesting data point that we need to pay attention to. That those that have a low level of trust in a faith, have a correlating pattern that they have higher levels of anxiety, depression, and loneliness. You see, this common grace secular research teaches us something that the scripture teaches us very clearly, that what our faith is in forms us. And if our faith is not in Christ, it will deform us for our ruin. But the invitation of the gospel is that faith in Christ can reform us to be more like Christ as people and to live for the glory of Christ in our practice. That's the invitation today. What is faith? Well, you all read it in our New City Catechism, question number 30. Faith is a total trust in God's truth. Trusting God with all of our hearts, it's resting on God alone for our security, for our salvation, for our strength, for our status, for all of our sufficiency. To trust in Christ, to have faith in him is different from just believing in him. James chapter 2 verse 19 is clear that the demons believe in Christ. They just don't trust him. They don't have faith in him. Right here is one of the biggest seeds I can find. It came from our parking lot. 
our, our, our acorn tree out there is absolutely obscene, the size of the acorns. I love it. Uh, this acorn, you can say, I believe that that acorn has a tree inside of it. And I believe that if you plant that acorn, that it will one day have a tree. But until you demonstrate total trust in that truth, faith in the promise of the seed, and immerse the acorn in the soil, and then grow it accordingly, you are not living by faith. Do you see the distinction? So the faith that forms us is faith for salvation, but it is beyond just regeneration to true participation in redemptive restoration, understanding that we are planted for the purposes of the Lord to bear fruit for his kingdom in all of life. Last week, Bob talked about how grace forms us. Grace makes us for this moment. Looking at Ephesians 2, it's by grace that we are saved through faith. And faith forms us when we have faith in God's provision, faith in God's promises, and faith for the purposes that he's called us to. We will unpack this as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. Please read the passage with me and join me following the call and response. The word of the Lord. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. All flesh is grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the revelation of your word and who you are. We are your people. We ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, and hearts to receive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see today is that God's people are made by faith that is in God's provision. Now, it's an interesting verse. It's a beautiful chapter. I encourage you all to read it later today. It won't take you long. But we have to ask the question, why is there a distinction between Israel and Egypt? Why does one cross the sea on dry ground while the other one drowns? The answer is faith in God's provision and faith in God's promises. The context of our passage helps us see the significance. We won't go far. Just look at the couple of verses right before, beginning at verse 27. By faith, he, this is Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Faith in God's provision is to trust God's Passover. The Passover in the Old Testament was the tenth of ten plagues. God's people had been in slavery and bondage in Egypt for hundreds of years, 400 years. And God had chosen this time to redeem them, and he called this man Moses to lead them. And he had them go through plagues, plagues on the one hand that were judgment on those who were enemies of God but plagues that were, on the other hand, validating the message and the messenger, Moses and what he was saying, calling God's people to go free, 
to worship him. The last plague, it included uh, families, individuals buying a lamb as instructed by the Lord and, and raising the lamb for a certain amount of days and, and then slaughtering the lamb on the night that it was designated by the, by the Lord and taking the blood of the lamb and putting it on the doorposts. And that the angel of death, the destroyer that is called in this passage, would actually pass through the land and everyone who did not put their faith in God's provision of the Passover would be destroyed, therefore making a distinction between the people of God and the enemies of God. And it says clearly that those who had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts were untouched. And they let Israel go free because they had faith in God's Passover. (laughs) You see, faith in God's Passover gives freedom from slaughter and from slavery. And it gives freedom, it gives provision for freedom and for worship. That is why Israel went into the wilderness. Jesus, of course, is the ultimate Passover lamb. This is why when he comes on the scene in the New Testament, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. It is only he, the true Passover lamb, that lived the perfect life we could never live. He died the death we deserve. He shed his blood and was slaughtered so that by his blood and his death we could find life and cleansing. It is only faith in Christ and his provision that gives us forgiveness and freedom to worship. And is it not just for Israelites, it's for all who have faith, not just for Jews. I imagine there were some Egyptians among the number. But more than that, I see the next verse, again, the context, verse 30 uh, and 31. Let's look at 31. It was by faith that Rahab from Jericho, the prostitute, she did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. It was by faith. It's for everyone who has faith. And it is only faith that saves us from the judgment of God, whether that is the destruction of the firstborn or the flooding, the drowning in the Red Sea or the ultimate judgment that will come. It is only faith in Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain to take away the sins of the world. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 8 and 9, it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of work so that no one can boast. Again, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, that it is only faith that saves. And the apostle John adds to the chorus of apostles who sing this hymn of salvation that belongs only to the Lamb of God who sits on the throne. He says that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness, for he was slaughtered for the propitiation of our sins. Only the death of Jesus Christ satisfies the right and just wrath of God on our sins. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Presbyterian church or if you grew up in another religion. It doesn't matter if you're Egyptian. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're Sikh or Buddhist. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're Mormon. It doesn't matter if you've spent your life believing a false gospel of moralism, self-righteousness, and prosperity. 
anyone at any time from any place in any culture in any part of the world can turn and put their faith in Christ. To not just look and say, I believe Jesus existed. To not just look and say, I believe that his, he can take away sin. But to actually take your seed of, play, uh, of faith and plant it in the soil of the gospel of God's provision. Giving your life wildly, fully, and completely to him. Only that faith saves us. Jesus is our Savior. Do you have faith in him and his provision? And when you do, God gives us sustaining power of having faith for God's promise. That we can have a peaceful walk through life. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. So many of you love this passage. I join you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll what? Make your path straight, right? The Hebrew literally says, he will make a straight way. A straight way. Isn't that what the Israelites needed? In fact, the same language, it's an illusion. And it goes back to Ezra. It's so fun connecting the dots in God's spirit-written word. They're standing on the shore of the Red Sea. Some of you might say, well, that sounds inviting. Wouldn't mind going fishing in the Middle East. Not inviting for them. They were on the run, running from Egypt. The army of the most powerful country in the world was pursuing them, looking to kill them, looking to slaughter them, looking to get revenge. (laughs) And you can read about it in Exodus chapter 14. And as they stood there with an army coming on one side and a Red Sea on the other, they needed a straight way. And the only way for them to go forward was to trust in the Lord with all of their heart, to lean not on your own understanding. What kind of God tells me to walk through water? A God that's got promises. And a God that's got a plan and a purpose for every season. See, when we understand what it means to have faith for God's promises, then we can drive through our difficulties rather than than drowning in them. We all have Red Sea struggles, don't we? Finances, family, friends, friction at work, questions about our future, emotional health, mental health, fears, failures, loss, grief. We wonder, is there a way forward? Is there really a way out of this Red Sea moment? If you've entered into that tension, then you're in good company. That's exactly where the Israelites were. I mean, if you read the passage, you'll see they were actually asking Moses, take us back to Egypt. Take us back. Did you bring us here to die? The tension of seeing an army on one hand, an impossible circumstance with a sea on the other side. Where do we go, God? It's actually good company. All through Scripture, It was Abraham and Sarah. They had to have faith in God's promises to go forward. It was impossible for that old, almost dead woman to have a baby. It's true. Paul says it twice. She was as good as dead. Her womb was barren. It was Ruth, the Moabite, who was completely devastated in a foreign land with the loss of her husband, who had to have faith. It was David, devastated by his own sin, who had to have faith for forgiveness and to move forward. It was Daniel in the lion's den and all of his friends who were in exile that had to have faith in God's promises. 
to move through impossible situations of serving the Lord. It was Deborah in the book of Judges, Esther in the book of Esther, who had to have faith, trusting God's promises, that somehow in impossible circumstances, he was going to work his purposes. Faith causes us to fall forward, not understanding. It's true all through Scripture. It's normal for the people of God. And that's why Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. And here's what you find, friends, that God somehow deepens your faith. Somehow the circumstances for growth happen best when it's raining. Somehow, in the valley, things grow more fruitful. I don't understand it, but I know it in my life personally valleys of my life from loss. I've lost my sister. I've lost my father. I've lost a close family member to suicide. I've battled disease, cancer, a bile duct disease, PSC. I've battled finances, really not knowing how it was going to all work out. I've, I've battled serving far, far from home and wondering what in the world have I done bringing my family over here? I've battled mental health struggles personally. I've battled addictive struggles personally. I've, I've faced the, the emotional damage of having parents who were, were divorced, but even having Red Sea moments in my own marriage, 20 years of marriage. You don't think we have moments where we just have to hold and walk forward in the promises of God? But not just that, even facing my own sin, my own worst ways, trying to, to seek to repent and move through the brokenness of my sin and my sin struggles. I know this truth personally, and many of you do too, that it, faith is formed when you trust God's promises in Red Sea moments, that somehow you come out stronger because you see the promises of God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Though you pass through the waters, they will not harm you. When you go through the fire, you will not be burned. I will give you your daily bread. All of what you're experiencing right now, I'm working according to my plan for your good and my glory. Those are the promises of a God so that when we look into a Red Sea moment and we say, God, are you really calling me to have faith and promises and we can live by faith and not by sight and plant ourselves in the promises of God and watch him work? The temptation is to focus on our circumstances. This happens all through Scripture, doesn't it? One of my favorite places is Mark chapter 4. The disciples are in the boat and Jesus is with them. The storm is raging. The waves are wild. And Jesus is sleeping. And like any unfaithful disciple, pointing to myself, these disciples are overwhelmed by their circumstances. And they wake Jesus up. And they say, Jesus, do you care? We're getting ready to die. Does Jesus care? Oh, my how our circumstances distort our faith. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't condemn them. He shows that he's got power over all of our circumstances. And he calms the storm. And he calms the sea. And in response to their question, do you care? Jesus says, don't you believe? 
Don't you have faith? Read it later in Mark chapter 4. Friends, the solution is not to just not trust or to trust yourself. The solution is to trust the Lord with all of your heart. Notice the description of the Israelites' journey in this passage. They passed through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. That's unbelievable. Like, literally, it's unbelievable. But it happened. Because God makes a way. Your Red Sea moment in your life, our Red Sea moment in our culture, in our country, it may just be God shaping us, making us by faith. We must have faith in his promises. And finally, we see that faith forms us for God's purposes. It's so interesting how fickle we are as a people. You know, Israel... They went through this miraculous rescue and they still found themselves complaining while they wandered in the wilderness. They still didn't believe, most of them didn't believe that God would provide when they were going into the promised land. Most of those folks who went through the Red Sea didn't even make it to the promised land. A whole generation was wiped out for a lack of faith in God's promises. And God had a purpose for his people. You see, when they were wandering in the desert, before the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God clearly gives his people an identity and a purpose. He says, you're a priesthood of believers. You have a purpose, a mission. A priest is one who mediates the blessings of God to his people. And God's people's purpose is to mediate the blessings of God to all the world, to our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and, and among the nations. The, the reality is that uh, being a priesthood is not something that was just isolated to the Israelites in the Old Testament, but Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 gives the same designation for God's people. The blessings of God that come through faith in Christ and his provision and, and are formed by faith in his promises during Red Sea moments, those are to be stewarded, not kept to ourselves, but given to everyone in that promised land that, that they went to, those that believed following uh, the faith of Joshua and Caleb, that promised land was, was a place of mission and purpose where the blessings of God to, could be distributed to all of the world. And to be made for this moment, to understand that our faith really forms us for God's purposes, when we're truly planted in the soil of his sovereignty and his grace and our roots are grow deep and are watered by his mercy and the storms of life that grow us to bear fruit, we understand that good works are just something that, that come from this. Faith is actually a womb for our work. We're born again into a newness of life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I mean, in Ephesians 2, verse 10, that we were created in Christ Jesus to, to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do this moment. It's not about you being a hero. It's about a sovereign God who has saved you and chosen to use you for the works that he's prepared in advance for you. <laughs> you don't get any credit. God gets all the glory. It's the same thing that Titus says in Titus 3, verses 3 to 8. In fact, if you read the book of Titus, you'll see that 
if we don't have works in our life, then we might want to question whether or not we have faith for eternal life. James, in chapter 2, asks the same question. And Jesus, just to drive the point home, says that you can tell a tree by its fruit in Matthew chapter 7. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. If we don't really have faith in the provision of God and the promises of God, uh, then we're not going to bear fruit for the glory of God. You're just not. Fruit happens naturally. This is why at the beginning of this chapter, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is why in Matthew chapter 25, when there is a picture of the final judgment, one far greater than the flood, Jesus is separating people that all call himself Christians. Well, we all knew you, Jesus. We all knew you. Some are sheep, some are goats. Who are the ones that are really the sheep? They're the ones that have the works of faith. Not to earn God's favor, but because of God's favor, it nourished hearts and environment where you could not help but love as, as he loved us, to serve as he served us, to care as he's cared for us, to provide for others as he has provided for us. Jesus is the light of the world. He calls his people to be lights, to not hide those lights, but to be a city on a hill where those lights shine. The purpose is the glory of God. It comes naturally. I was humbled this week by a business owner that I was able to be with, and he just kept asking me. He said, Mitchell, I'm, I'm just so tired. I'm so tired of trying to figure out how to live for the glory of God in my business. It's exhausting. The church spends so much time talking about going to church and, and doing things that we're supposed to do. But most of my time is spent at work, leading people, caring for people, caring for customers, providing. What does it look like for me to really serve Jesus in all of life? Faith in Christ for his provision. Faith in Christ and his promises. I promise you, the purposes of Christ, when you plant yourself by faith, you will be formed to have works of faith in all that you do, whether in parenting or in the workplace, in your family, with friends, whether it's on your street or whether it's all over our city. Following Christ is not compartmentalized. It's all of life, because all of life is worship. And we're a part of the priesthood of believers, called to mediate the blessings of God to the world, planted to bear fruit for his kingdom. You and I have a far greater purpose. And friends, let me tell you, faith makes us. And by his grace, you are made for this moment. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the power of the gospel. I pray for those in here today that do not have saving faith. Would you give them faith to believe that if they plant themselves fully in the soil of your sovereign grace, that they can find forgiveness and renewal. Give them faith to believe. Lord, I pray for me and for others in this room that have struggles trusting 
your sovereignty in our Red Sea moments? Would you give us faith in your promises? And Lord, I thank you that you have called us to have faith for a purpose. And I pray that you give us eyes to see the plan that you have for us, Lord. Plan to further your glory and your kingdom for such a time as this. Lord, we love you. We ask you to teach us to love you with all our heart, all our mind, and our soul. To love our neighbors, ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Would you please respond to the preaching of God's word and and standing together and singing uh, the hymn that is printed in your bulletin, the final two stanzas of Jesus shall reign.